You're listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast with me, Nathan Johnson, and my co-hosts, Carl Kaczynski and Rami Bassi. We hope you enjoy the show. Is this something for the recording? No. That's <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, yeah, so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about leadership during COVID um, and not necessarily just institutional leadership, like it can be national or international leadership. Um, just because, um, I mean, we've spoken about leadership pre-COVID where uh, quite often confidence gets confused with competence. And we're now in a time where nobody really knows the answers, but yeah. we've got lots of leaders coming through telling us this is what we must do because this is the best thing to do. And what I thought would be interesting is discussing people's feelings um, or thoughts around how we're being led at the moment. Um, whether that's you know in an organisation or even as a customer. So if we if we think of learners at, at a university as as customers in this sense, um, how well we're taking their sort of safeguarding and protection into account and and their experience into account in the decisions that are being made, or if it's at a national level, or even if you're a customer in a supermarket or a pub or something like that, how well you think the leadership is doing there at protecting uh, protecting your lives as the customers and the staff's lives. Um, so yeah. Nathan, the floor is yours. It's such a broad area. It is such a difficult concept to talk about. Like, you know, the leadership itself, it's a super difficult concept to talk about because how do you define, you know, good leadership? What is, I, I don't know whether, you know, do you want to, do we want to start with kind of defining what do we mean by leadership? What, the, what do you think that leadership is? Do you have any experience with the leadership and uh, what sort of leadership have you experienced, whether it's like on the institution basis or more kind of global basis? I don't know what um, is a good place to start, guys. Well, I, I saw a few years ago, um, I think it was on LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that, um, drawing a distinction between management and leadership. Uh, and it's not an accurate uh, definition necessarily but it was talking about how managers tend to set the direction, um, decide what's going on. They might be micromanagers, whereas leaders were far more collaborative. Um, they were taking into account other people's views and not necessarily uh, a kind of um, leading by consensus, but definitely taking into account, including other views into the decision-making process. Uh, and I feel very much um, at, at all levels, I'm seeing lots of examples of, management over leadership in decision making and then some rare examples of uh, amazing leadership where where people are you know taking on board different views and opinions mm. i mean it's it's it, it is hard to lead when things are so uncertain and um there's lots of different agendas um so so the higher you get the less it, I guess the less it's about the individual and the more than it is about the organization um, and it's good to understand that sometimes it, it, leadership has to be about the bigger picture the organization because if that falls then no one will have a job so it, and I mean when you're taking cues from and I don't want to make this political but when you're taking it from 
potential um, politicians who, again, don't really understand where this is going and therefore aren't empowering people or businesses, organisations to make um, informed decisions or any decisions. It's a lot of them are just made for them. So as the more you trickle down, the less transparent it is and then the more confusing it gets until you just sat at your desk thinking, well, everyone's doing something different. Um, everyone's pulling in different directions. So I feel like just sitting here and, and not, not getting involved in it. Um, but yeah, I think being, being a manager and kind of that, that leadership from above, you're like, well, how, how am I meant to lead my, my staff? Because I'm not entirely sure what, what the direction is. And every time I ask a question as well, um, this is this is the party line. This is this is what kind of the the generic text, but it's not specific to the different areas. So whether that is um, working from home, working remotely, um, and the idea that actually for the work that we do, kind of there, there's no real need to be in the office. Um, unless, um, I don't know, unless we've got a certain meetings, whatever. But then the idea that, okay, an, an organisation can say, well, everyone should be in the office at least one day a week, even though we're in tier two um, or Birmingham's kind of in lockdown. But that doesn't seem to be kind of broken down more. And people actually saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna, my department, this is what my department does this is what we're going to do for my department because I understand how they work and this is going to kind of benefit the way they work. And ultimately this is going to empower them and benefit the organization. And I think maybe it's because that fear of, like, I can't let go. I can't let go of the reins because I don't know what's going to happen. And if I give away too much control for people to actually lead and kind of do stuff on their own, then it, it, if it does fail, it's on me. I think I think you're right. I, I I think you know I don't envy the people who are making those decisions at the moment because they need to they they need to juggle quite a lot of things, and they need to make the decisions where the evidence is sparse or is limited, and they need to make those tough decisions. And sometimes what I think what we have all seen during the you know during the outbreak of COVID nineteen is sometimes that they. The evidence changes, like there is new light on evidence, there is new way of analyzing the evidence, there is new and you know, current development or new development, but sometimes politicians or leaders are stuck in the kind of the old way of thinking and they don't adopt or they don't go, it's, you know, it's very similar to, you can, um, if you think about the te technological advancements and the policy makers, you know, the, the policy makers don't really follow the uh, technological advancements that are available and society is, you know, is kind of being lost in, in, that, um, in, in that development. And I think this is some, something very similar with the COVID-19 and with the leadership during those times, there is new evidence is still coming up. And I think people are struggling to follow up with that evidence and adhere to it. 
Um, yeah, so I was going to come in and be fair to the managers and like their conflicting priorities. But since you've both done that, I'll take a slightly different tact um, just to play devil's advocate. Look, we've, we're now living through COVID and you can go, oh, look, the situation they're facing is very different. Before that, it was Brexit. Before that, it was a financial crash. Before that, it was the threat of terrorism. There's always some new challenge that comes in that apparently, you know, this is a brand new situation. It feels like this has been going on, well, it has been going on for like 20 years where there's the next brand new situation. I guess what I'm suggesting is if there's always going to be some brand new situation for people to cope with, then don't we need a type of leader that is far more adaptable, far more flexible, rather than saying this is the party line, for example, like, you know, so I'd rather stay with the status quo because I might, you know, find myself in trouble. Actually, somebody who recognizes that there are both opportunities and challenges with going with something new. So you gave the example of working from home at the University of Birmingham. Um, if there's no justifiable reason to ask people to come in and by asking them to come in, you're putting their health at risk. Surely that would outweigh any kind of like, oh, let's stick with the status quo because that's what we know. Um, I mean, I, I know that during uh, the, when we were all working at the, the university, for example, during the first few months of lockdown, our team was super productive. We were producing new courses and new documentation, supporting staff, running webinars. Um, like we, we must have been working way more productively than perhaps we were in the office. Um, and I know with my wife's work, she was working a lot more productively at home than she was in the office. So if that, I mean, that, that's the kind of exchange you have with an employer, isn't it? They pay you and you do the work. If you're doing more work for the same money in this new model of doing things, why would you want to change it back? Um, I also don't see the value of people coming into the office if all they're doing is having their meetings online uh, with, with their colleagues. They're not having face-to-face -face meetings. I mean, I, I, I can see if people want to come in and it's safe for them to go in, then that should be an option. But if they're happy to work from home and they're not required, you know, they're not, I, I don't know, maybe... Um, cleaning the areas or serving food or you know providing security uh, or there's like a hands-on sort of like a lesson that needs to be taught for example I don't I don't see what value that's providing or how that's helping anyone by having more people mixing together yeah this is something that I was talking to someone about yesterday which was I as much as much as I may prefer one or the other I don't mind either or is easier so everyone at home everyone in the office it works but we know by experience some people in the office some people at home is not is not easy it's not kind of easy to manage that that meeting um so kind of i don't know it just seems like it's um kind of no, yeah, I, I agree with Nathan. It's difficult to uh, it's difficult to have a meeting when you've got, say, for example, majority of people in the office and maybe one yeah. or two people on Skype because then you you don't know when to talk and when to include someone or with the lag, when everybody's on Skype or Zoom or whatever, it, it becomes a bit easier or or face to face. It's easy. Yeah, definitely, and I think this is kind of the well-being aspects of this as well. That it feels, it just feels weird if you are on the kind of receiving end, and if you know that your colleagues are in the office, and you are kind of on the other side of it, on the other side of the screen. It, it just feels weird. It doesn't feel very natural. Whereas if everyone is in the same um, 
it's a kind of situation that everyone is having the conversation via computer, you know, via laptop or mobile device. Then it feels automatically definitely much more natural. I don't know whether you've got this experience. I, I, I'm just talking on kind of on my behalf, but definitely for, for those meetings that colleagues were in the office and I had to just join in, it felt really weird. So I agree with Nathan on what he said that, yeah, either work from home or work from the office. But if you try to do like, yeah, two people work there and two people work here, it's a really weird and really bizarre way of working. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've kind of, uh, we've moved this conversation into um, the, the work from home. Um, but there are other things here, you know, uh, like a couple of minutes back, we were talking about the, the varying challenges of people in, um, you know, senior positions. And uh, maybe I did them as a, a disservice by saying, you know, that they need to be more flexible. Because as you both rightly pointed out, they've, they've got different challenges. They've got the kind of uh, the well-being of the staff, uh, and students, uh, for example, uh, in the university setting or uh, well-being of staff and customers, um, they've got their financial concerns, you know, they've got reputational concerns. Um, so, for example, Cambridge made a decision very early on to uh, say, look, we're going to do all teaching next year online and they resourced that properly. So a decision was made that they couldn't be sure uh, and they were going to make sure that, you know, their online resources were up to scratch um, almost in the same way having this halfway house doesn't work where you're like oh we're going to teach online and face-to-face -face, or we're going to have people in the office or remote like not picking a side almost you have to be more binary in some instances um, yeah I, I think uh, or or with the, the government for example where they've said some things can open up and some things can't in different parts of the country the message gets diluted and confused and i think you need to be clearer with people mm. in times of crisis like this um and and have it based on you know like for example uh with covid uh, like basing it on scientific evidence like this is what the evidence says if people mix too closely and too many people there's more chance of the virus spreading as with all viruses you know more chance of spreading if uh, if, if there's more people in a room um but then saying it's okay to go into coffee shops and restaurants and pubs, you're kind of contradicting that message. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there is a huge element of trying to save those businesses, which is, which is great. But I think, I don't know, I, I think people need a little bit more clearance and guidance on, uh, I don't know, it's, it's really, really tough. It's a really tricky time. I mean, the fact that we can't figure it out here, I mean, I'm not suggesting we should be able to figure out everything, but the fact that we can't figure it out here um, does show what a difficult position some of the leaders and managers are in. Um, like ha having to balance all of those concerns um, with, yeah. So uh, like where I was just talk talking about the government, I mean, even... Uh, within, say, for example, the current government, Boris Johnson's party, you've got um, some people within the party saying, no, we shouldn't lock anything down. You've got others saying we should lock everything down uh, really hard. Uh, how do you balance such diverse opinions? Um, I mean, as a good leader, uh, I would say Boris Johnson should have 
if he were a good leader, he should have come down harder on, for example, Dominic Cummings for clearly breaking the rules. Um, mm. He should have come down harder on his own father for clearly breaking the rules. And almost like, you know, no, nobody's beyond uh, these rules. No, if, 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 yeah, yeah if, if they are so strict and they're so important, and that's what scientific evidence is saying, nobody is beyond these. I would even find my own father. For, uh, I would even make sure that the police uh, investigate my own father for breaking the rules. I mean, he wouldn't get that involved with the police, but just just not um, basically condemning it, openly condemning that behaviour. And with in the case of Dominic Cummings, sacking him, um, at the very least, he's admitted uh, dangerous driving by driving to test his eyesight. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think if you're going to be a good leader, you should lead by example. Uh, and yeah. you should um, like make, make, get your own house in order, I guess. And, and this is the thing that I think that you raised a really good point because I can see, you know, I think that leadership in, during the COVID time is another example of the fact that the society is really, really polarized. And this is the society is polarized, so it's not only on the political agenda, but, you know, in terms of like social, cultural and lifestyle aspects of it. And I think what is happening with this polarization is the fact that those two sides don't talk to each other, but they have arguments and try to shout, I'm right or I'm, I'm right. But the, the fact is like, we don't know, you know, both sides saying have valid arguments, but they are just trying to win the arguments. And that cause that both sides are losing the arguments because if you can't get to the com you know to the common agreement that can push situation forward for the benefits of everyone then you know you harm you harm like half of the population really and the harming the 50% of the population is not the ideal situation so we really need to think about like how what can we do to you know, to defeat that polarization and what can we do to find a common ground that, you know, majority of the society is going to be happy? Is, is there a way? Can you, can you lead to that situation? Can good leaders get to the point that, yeah, okay, I'm happy with that decision and the society is happy and ready to, to follow it? I think we, I mean, if we focus a kind of a, an organisation, organisational level, I think it's kind of Taking, taking on board what comes through the government that actually kind of like, like when we says lead by example and actually, actually lead. So whether it's, okay, my students are at risk. How do I, how do I support my students? My staff are at risk. How do I do that? How do I continue to kind of provide a service during these difficult times? And I think sometimes it it's not kind of how can we provide that service? It's potentially how do we not how do we save face? How do we not lose some of the stuff that we're already doing? Rather than thinking, okay, we need we should be providing a really good service, irrelevant of what's going on. And actually, some of these circumstances are, are kind of made to challenge us, made to show kind of what our strengths are, made to kind of say, okay we are ready for this, we can do this. And the people that can't, they, are, are, they, are they suited for this environment? And when Yurumi says about kind of leadership, leaders and managers, I, I truly think this time 
is highlighting kind of people that are just managers, people that aren't leaders, and they're potentially falling short of what is needed of them. And, and essentially, you just need someone to look up to and someone that is going to stand there confident and say, cool, I've got your backs, matched, then this is what we're going to do. And I believe in this and I'm going to be with you rather than kind of, okay, we're going to do this, but yet they're doing something different and, and they're doing something else. And I'm not entirely sure what, what works, but I'm going to take a step back and then wait to see what works before I get involved in it. At which point I feel like you've lost, you've lost the people um, that, that work for you. So the CMI, um, uh, well, they've been doing lots of research during COVID, but one of their uh, reports was, um, and, and they've run various similar reports in, in the past before, but one of them was around time and time again, you get the best out of your workers when you trust them, when you empower them. Um, and if you're really going to get the, if that's true, uh, and, and I believe that it is, if you're really going to get the best out of them, you can't be sort of... Um, thinking that their opinions and their, their their viewpoints are not valid you have to take it on on board and if they say they're going to feel safest by whatever method it is or best by whatever method it is then you have to let them whether that's going into the office or working from home in the example that we're talking about you have to let them do what's best for them yeah uh, because and just quickly, they're a good sorry just quickly on that um i was at a coaching coaching conference um last week and someone said that exact point, which was, you've employed them, you've employed them because you think they're good enough for the organisation and, and they've got something to say and you trust them. Therefore, you trust them to work from home. And if you don't trust them to work from home, if you don't trust their opinion, why did you employ them in the first place? Why did you not just employ someone else who you can trust? And then it, it, for me, it kind of made me realise actually are we always employing the best people or sometimes, I don't know. And are we giving people the opportunity to speak up to kind of voice some of their opinions? Um, because if it rocks the boat, then, then the manager, the leader has to, has to take that within their stride and figure out, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this? Um, and I guess you've got you've got issues both ways, haven't you? If I if I follow the people, then I risk rubbing up wrong against kind of the the senior management. Whereas if I side with the senior management, then I kind of disenfranchise the the workers. So I guess we've we've moved quite a bit to moving to middle managers, that sort of buffer between the senior leaders and ourselves, if you like. Um, but I would, I'd sort of contest there that actually, if if um, if my viewpoint is different to the institutions, then in a sense, it's the senior managers, uh, uh, sorry, the middle managers' duty to either convince me of the party line, if you like, or other way around, fight my case. So if you know, they, they kind of need to come to a decision themselves and be able to persuade you of it. And if they can't, are they are they doing an effective job as your manager, your leader? Yes, no, I agree. But then I, I feel like we need to reassess where some of these people come from. Um, whereas you want a manager that is a manager um, rather than a manager that was a senior learning technologist. Um, and that, that's all he knew. And he's, he's now 
a middle manager because that is the progression. That should not be the progression um, in an organization. So this yeah. is the idea of uh, promoting to incompetence. So they're really good at their jobs all the way up until effectively you promote them to a position where they're no longer good at that role. Yeah. And well, this is the thing that we can listen with the example that you gave, which you know, I, I, I appreciate and thank you very much for giving that example because I think it's quite effective. But the thing is that the middle managers are not uh, experts in biohazard safety and all of that. So how they can assess really, and even people working in the facilities and, and things like that who are doing the risk assessment, they saying, yeah, it's COVID safe. Okay, can you, what is the evidence? Like, how can you ensure that it's safe? Like, you know, it's 45,000 people there. Campus is operating at the moment 10 or 11% of, of capacity, let's say. And we still report the cases on the weekly basis. And that is not only limited to one university, this is across the country. And the, you know, the senior managers and managers saying, yeah, you know, across, across universities in, in UK. And they all say, yeah, it's safe. It is not because people are still getting cases. And, you know, and if you look at the number of, of cases reported on the daily basis, 26,000 people today. This, this doesn't seem like you know it's it's safe. So something that uh, someone said to me is kind of you could have the safest bubble kind of in the world, but that doesn't mean that people traveling in and out on public transport on kind of in these different methods aren't contaminated said bubble. So I think I I truly think it's for the the managers and the leaders to see beyond the kind of the organization that where they work and kind of look at okay kind of how are my staff getting to work how can i make that kind of really safe and how can i kind of um infuse them and empower them to to believe and to trust that actually i have their best interest at heart because for everyone that kind of, and some organisations, let's be honest, they are they are doing as well as they can, and it's not it's not their fault. We've all got a job to do. We're all trying really hard. We we believe that what we're doing is making it safer. It's just when you add people to it, it all falls down because as we see, people people are selfish. People don't care, um, and you kind of want everyone to pull together. But I just. I think it's bigger it's bigger than a single organization it needs kind of um, the local area to come together to to work together and i think that's what for me that's what a leader should do think outside of their their con con constraints and think okay i need to look at public transport i need to look at kind of shops i need to look at all these different things because actually this is what my staff and students are doing can I ask you both something like if, if okay so what would make you feel safe to go back to work a vaccine a vaccine you know vaccine like um yeah I, I'm pretty sure if you have like the treatment that's you know uh that can that can save people that making sure that it, it is okay to travel it's you know people don't fall sick or there is no second wave on the horizon 
Yeah, and, and I'm Nathan, happy to come back then. I to to put the cat among the pigeons. I'm I'm okay. Um, what I so I wouldn't mind going back on campus. What I what I kind of need is to to believe <laughs> that everyone takes it as seriously. Uh, I don't mind having a poster kind of a poster on the wall that says meter apart wash your hands that's great but actually what happens if i see a person that isn't a meter two meters apart one meter apart and hasn't washed their hands and hasn't done that at that point the the trust breaks down because actually we should all be pulling together not kind of going in different directions and as much as if you even if you don't trust it that's fine but this is what the organisation wants. And actually we should, be, we should all be doing this in order to um, kind of serve the organisation. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm just trying to empathise with the, the kind of organisations uh, across the board position. Um, and I guess, so to your point and, and your point, uh, Nathan, like getting, getting everyone to, to sort of uh, either get the vaccine or comply with the rules seems like an impossible task you can't get everybody to do it uh, you could get a lot of people to do it like they were doing in, in initial lockdown but still not everybody was doing it even when we had sort of maximum uptake there um, vaccines won't necessarily be 100% effective like you, you've got to cover like huge swathes of the population and loads of people were kind of anti this vaccine they've got to phase it in and if it works out like the flu vaccine it might be effective for like six months a year uh, and then it's no longer effective if they haven't hit everybody, if they haven't targeted everyone. And that would be across the world as well, because, you know, if, if they haven't got um, everyone in, say, uh, another country vaccinated, and then a few of those people come over and get some of the people who haven't been vaccinated and, and you know, the virus mutates, we're back in the same boat like we are with cold and flu every year. Um, yeah. Well, no, no cold vaccine, but flu yeah. certainly, where Think, it just mutates. Um, so some of the, I mean, and some of the things that have been brought in, I'm like, well... I, I feel more comfortable. Um, so not having really large gatherings, I'm like, well, that suits me. That suits me better when I've got someone hugging me from behind on a train or just coughing on me. And I'm just, and even before this, I'm like, just step back, please. And, and, and you see it all the time, but, but it's like, well, it's normal. Um, so maybe it's me me that's the issue in this and i'm not comfortable here but actually having some of these rules i'm like okay wear your mask and and you're right i feel like a big organization is like kind of a microcosm it's like um it mirrors society so you've got the people that believe you've got the people that don't trust it and will go off and do whatever they want and it's i feel like it's it's for the management and the leaders to I don't know whether it's persuade, talk to, listen to some of the, the concerns of both sides. Because what I what I do think happens is is some of it is more to appease uh, the government and things like that. So I have to put posters up. Why it's one meter apart? Okay, I'll, I'll put that on a poster. Wash your hands, cool. I'll, I'll say that. And there doesn't seem to be anything behind it. It's very much just all I've, all I've got is a poster whereas what I want to feel like is I've got a voice what I want to feel like is actually if I've got concerns I can raise them somewhere without being told no no you can't do this because this is we've already decided without consulting 
anyone on the ground about how they feel about it. I feel, and whether that is, well, I don't want to wear a mask, then that needs to be consulted as well. Why? Why, why do I not want to wear a mask? How kind of, how does that make me feel? Because I feel like one side gets demonized and, and during all of this, it's demonized for people that aren't complying and not really trying to understand why they're not complying and persuade um, them. Even with your your kind of two different answers about what will get you back to work, it sounds like, Nathan, you would favour, because it would be a longer term, you would favour a longer term of observing of the rules, whereas, Carol, you sound like you want to get back to normal as quickly as possible, so you want to kind of um, stay in the status quo until there's a vaccine and we can all just be normal again. And, um, I, yeah, I, I think... You know, some of the people who uh, who are just kind of like saying, let's just let it run rampant because it's destroying their society. Uh, we're, we're losing civil liberties. The government's clamping down on all of these rules. Although I think the, the actions of going out and spreading the disease is quite selfish because it's lives at risk. I can kind of understand the viewpoint of like, this is this is our life as we know it that's coming to an end if we if we continue to let because governments are using this across the world. Governments are using this to bring in all sorts of laws uh, and again, it's my mistrust of maybe su su some people in leadership um, that they'll make decisions that not only suit the purpose right now, but kind of suit their future purposes in a kind of sinister way. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess for me, getting back to normal isn't even an option if like, well, yeah, because I, I don't think this virus can be beat. Uh, uh, like no virus has ever been 100% wiped out. So I, I empathise with the challenge that the managers face, but I think actually what we should be pursuing is a plan for a new way of working, a new way of living. Yes, um, completely. Yes, yes. that's it. And I do, and I, and I, I really think it, there's a battle. There really is a battle at the moment. There's a battle between the way we've always done it because it works. Why change something that works? And the fact that actually there's this there's this kind of um, virus that is making us change and um, we all talk um, I mean I talk a lot about okay kind of what are we going to learn from this what what worked well what didn't work well um, so in my community practice it's very much okay what what works well in remote kind of um, working because actually I want to kind of share across some of these things that do work well because all that will happen is kind of I, I do think the people that want the status quo are trying to hold it for as long, like as long, long enough. So when people do go back, it's they'll just slot in back into, oh, this is what it was like. Oh, and then you just you forget because I guess work is work is most of your life, and then it's just it's that daily grind. Whereas I I feel like this has given a lot of people time to reflect on kind of both of that work life balance and what their priorities in life are. Um, and I, I, think, I think kind of a good leader would look at this situation and think, how do I make that change? How do I kind of, I don't know, kind of make what's happening now kind of last in terms of the flexibility, in terms of the productivity? How can I kind of make that kind of normal working practice uh, irrelevant of any viruses and all sorts because I think it was in one of David Attenborough's 
shows was saying that kind of we're cutting down a lot of the um, kind of the forests and things like that where the big animals are living that are killing the smaller animals and then the small animals are thriving and they're the one that's carrying a lot of these diseases so going into the future we, we're going to have a lot more a lot more of this and it, it is going to be a battle of how do we stay the same like the people that just want it to remain because they're making the the money they're they're kind of i don't know their success was built on the status quo and then kind of how we as people would and i think it's how we as people would prefer to work is a lot more flexibility a lot more ownership of our life it's like it's weird because going into covid you're like well i don't have to be in the office from eight till five every day and spend an hour traveling there and back what that's what i've done for 20 years it's one of those things like for 20 years that's what i've done and now i realize that i, I don't have to do that like, there is a different way it's just yeah. that different way has never really been explored and kind of um gone away uh, well, I was just going to say, like, they're, they're also like, because we're, I guess we're thinking in our own context, in our own work, where the work can be done remotely very easily, but just kind of like a recognition of those people who do have to go into work to do their jobs. Um, although, if, if we could start retraining and redirecting people, I know that's controversial, but if we could start retraining and redirecting people, because these are also, a lot of them, the jobs that we would expect to be automated over the next few years. So but I now think... We've, I think by by making the transition though, I, I honestly think it makes kind of going into the office easier. So if you don't have everyone on the road at the same time, it doesn't take an hour to get into work. That drive to work is a little bit more relaxing and there's less people in the office potentially or around, which again makes it a more enjoyable experience than the rat race. So you, you get out of your car to a train you cram onto the train, you get to our station, then you cram off and then you cram down the down the walkway and you're like, at no point is that enjoyable and I haven't even got to work yet. And I get to work and I've got lots of uh, people, students, whatever, who are all running around, sneezing and doing all sorts. And I'm like, oh, okay, that again, that doesn't work for me. Um, and yeah, I understand there are people that have to be in work um and it's not going to suit everyone is it let's be honest um and working from home isn't going to suit everyone either that some people will want to be in the office and i think having that flexibility to allow people to choose kind of how they would like to work and what would make them productive i mean i've sat in the office some days just kind of twiddling my thumbs and i'm like well i i'm not motivated today therefore I'm just going to sit here and do nothing at all. And that's only, that's probably only happened once. <clears throat> um, but at home, yeah, there's, there's, there's more ability to kind of take a step back and be, okay, I'm just going to go and wash the dishes. I'm just going to go and some, clear my head and then I'm going to come back. And actually I'm more motivated then because all that would have happened when I was in the office is I wouldn't have done anything, gone home, wouldn't have washed the dishes either. Then I'd have woke up the next day and I'd have been frustrated because the dishes aren't washed and I've got lots of work to do. And then it all builds up. That private and, and work life all just builds up because it's connected. Whereas now it does feel like it, it works a little bit better. Now, yeah, this is me. 
and this is my opinion and not kind of not everyone's opinion but i never considered working from home ever before this i was very much i'll come in every day i'll i'll take that transport i don't mind even though kind of i did get really frustrated going on the train and just kind of really annoyed um but i was just like that that's 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 what i do if i can if i can deal with that brilliant whereas now i'm like oh there's another way it's like and i still and i don't like i don't necessarily like working from home anyway i quite like to be social i quite like to because i know i know not in the office um I know, and I know loads of people around the organisation. So I will just go out and I'll meet kind of 15, 20 people that I know, and you'll just have a chat with those. And then that gets you infused. That gets you motivated. I was in a meeting yesterday talking about a kind of a future project to work on. And we're all like, this is brilliant. And you don't necessarily get that when you don't have those ad hoc meetings, when you're not just there in the office and you're like, I'm going to go over and see so and so and just have a chat with them. And then what comes from that is, okay, I feel motivated. I feel like doing my job now. Whereas if you don't have that, sometimes when I'm working from home, I'm like, I don't have that person to bounce off. So when I'm down, I, I can't listen to Remy telling me a joke um, about something really interesting that makes me laugh. Um, and then that kind of, I don't know, makes me forget and then I can focus on work again. It is one of those where I mean, we're not going to be in a position where we're going to have be able to have that anyway for the time being but i feel like how do we replicate because i truly feel if we can replicate some of the current practices like the the like we talk about teaching it's like you've got your classroom teach got your online it's it's not it's not an either or it's a combination of both but how do you replicate some of those activities in the classroom online and how can you make them work so some of the really good things how do you make them work online so some of the really good things in the office how do you make that work virtually and if you can make it work then you kind of increase that motivation of of your staff of your workers so it feels like actually it is the same i do have the same chances i do feel feel good about working here rather than i'm working for myself and sometimes I see some faces and I don't even know that if they're real now, it could just be automated. Who knows? I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's, that's my view. Thank you very much. That was really, really interesting. And I think I, you know, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And then if you look at, you know, the development of the technology and what the future brings, I think, you know, um, labor market of the future is going to, require more and more collaboration with people across the globe with different businesses and with different uh, across multiple disciplines and it is a perfect time just to start doing that and creating that future and getting used to that future i think if we lose that opportunity and if we're gonna go back to the status quo pre-covid times we have lost so much of good stuff. We have so lost so much of, of learning. And there is, a, as Nathan said, there is so much good about being at the campus and being surrounded by people that we haven't quite figured it out, like how to replicate that in the online environment and how, 
how to embed that in the culture, like just creating like open social coffee, you know, uh, place people can just jump in and, and have a chat. And we, we haven't quite done it yet, but hey ho, you know, let's wait for what tomorrow brings. And there is no, no, no point coming back scraping all of that learning and all of the, the things, the, the good things that came out of, of COVID-19 and working from home just to come back to the to campus because it's good to see colleagues. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it, it is yeah. great to see colleagues, but okay, if this is great to see colleagues, like what can we do now to make sure that we see colleagues online and it's safe and secure and we don't spread that bloody virus? But I think, I think more than that, it's, it's how do we embed some of these practices so then they're normal? Because actually, I mean, there's no, so, so, so we've been working in the office for many and many a year. We've been working from home for eight months. Now for people that say it doesn't work, there isn't enough kind of, whether it's research into it, surveys, understanding of what it is to work from home on a, on a large scale to to inform some of the some of the decisions that kind of people come to why the status quo is better than the future and i just think if we can little things if we can just embed just start embedding stuff start just thinking okay what what does work let's keep doing that and then move more towards it because yeah I, I do feel when we get back into the office we'll be back and it'll be back to normal um unfortunately and i'll be driving yeah to work every day again um that that's life um well it's interesting maybe your train journeys will be a bit lighter because even once the university is ready to uh, start up again not all businesses will be you know not everybody will want to some of the companies will be more flexible about how many days a week the staff have to come in you might find some of those pressures that were affecting you before uh, sort of less stressful by the time you get into work. Um, I think some of the businesses will really struggle, you know, some of the places which are kind of uh, leisure activities, like going to the pub or restaurant or gym or something like that. People, those companies, uh, uh, quite a few of them might have failed by the time we get back. So our, like our streets will look different and that will lead to less footfall around. So you might find that it's not fully back to normal. Well, yeah, it's not, I, I just don't see a way how we'll ever get back to what it was before. So, and that's kind of what really, uh, or part of what drove my, my comment of like, let's start looking for, you know, new ways of working. And like you said, Nathan, bringing in the best parts, the best parts of working from home and the best parts of the office uh, what are they from a company perspective, from a uh, sort of personal perspective, but also like, you know, uh, in the in the industry we work in, in education for, for a national and international perspective as well. Like what's in the interest of everyone? What are those key points that we need to hit? Now, how do we make that work rather than thinking, how do we get back to what we were? I agree. I think that's that's a really good point to end it on. If we're all happy. Um, and thank you both. Thank you both for joining me um, and joining joining us um, for this podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank Goodbye. you. Thank, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast. 
If you liked what you've heard, please do listen to more of our podcasts and please do engage with us on the topics we've raised.